God's desire for our community this semester, this year, and beyond. A question of God's calling, perhaps is a question that you've asked about your own life, right? What's God's calling on my life? What am I called to do? Where is God calling me? For followers of Jesus, like lots of us here, we know a God who is sovereign over the world, in control of everything and intimately involved in every life. He is the one who hung the stars in the sky and knows every hair on your head. And so when we bring our lives under his rule, we want to know what his desires are for us, don't we? We want to please him with our lives and we want our lives to align with his plans for us. We want to make the right decisions, study the right course, take the right job. And it's exciting to seek God's will for these things in our life, isn't it? It's, it's like the excitement of being offered a job and thinking about what you're going to do in that role or the anticipation of knowing a coach's plan for your role in the team this coming season. And indeed, God cares deeply about our circumstances. We read a couple of weeks ago in Ephesians 2 that he has prepared good works for us to do. But when scripture talks about God's calling on us, what God calls us to do, the word that we see in verse 1 of our passage here tonight, something else is in view. Galatians 1 says that God calls us to live in the grace of Christ. 1 Corinthians 1 says that God calls us to fellowship with his son. 1 Corinthians 7 says God calls us to live in peace. According to various verses throughout the New Testament, God calls us to faith. He calls us to be free. He calls us to hope. He calls us into his kingdom and glory, to a holy life, to eternal life. He calls us to honor into his wonderful light and to suffer with Christ. In the language of the Bible, God's call is to salvation and life in Christ, not primarily to a particular circumstance or decision, like a relationship or, or a job. See, God knows and he appoints all those things, all those circumstances, but he calls us to something deeper than our circumstances. God's calling isn't about what we do, but who we are. And likewise, for us as a community here at UniChurch, God's calling isn't about what we do, but about who we are. So we might seek God's plans for us as a church, seek his will for our life together. And that's something that we're constantly doing, making plans in submission to God's will. We'd love to plant a new congregation this year. We would love to see Melbourne Uni reached and changed as more and more students put their faith in Jesus. We would love to have more ministry in Mandarin and other languages. We'd love to see a flood of passionate and godly people sent out from here into vocational gospel ministry. But what's God calling us to? He's not calling us to do something, but to be something. To have a look, if you've got a Bible or a sheet you got on the way in there, at Ephesians 4, verse 1. As a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. What's the calling that we have received? 
What does it look like for us to live a life worthy of that call? Well, in Ephesians 4, God's word holds up the calling that we have received to a life together of maturity. God calls us here by his word to maturity. So in the, in the logic of this passage of these verses, we see in verse 13 the end goal of God's work in us, the result of his project in us. It says that we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. So we, we attain, we, we find the fullness of Christ in maturity together. Maturity, perhaps when you hear that, it doesn't sound like the most exciting life call, right? If I wrote the Bible, this is a fun game that I like to play, if I wrote the Bible, <laughs> then maybe here I would have written something like a life together of impact or a life together of, of transformation a life together of abundant fruit. But it was God who wrote the Bible. Thank goodness for that. And here, his call is to maturity. You know what, though? Maturity might actually be exactly the right thing. For me, I think the best evidence of this is to remember back to when I was a young teenager to when I was immature, the awkward man-boy phase, right, with shoulders and legs growing bigger, but decision-making somehow growing smaller, awkward interactions with girls, awkward haircuts, awkward email addresses, cringy photos, cringy memories. Compare yourself now to yourself at your most immature, and perhaps maturity becomes a more attractive thing after all. Have a look with me at verses 14 to 16, and what we see there is how Paul pictures this mature life together. If we have this mature life, this is what it will look like, Paul says from verse 14. Then we will no longer be infants, tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. So Paul uses here one of his favorite word pictures to describe a mature, a mature church, the picture of a human body. A mature body is a healthy and a vibrant and a resilient body. So I have a daughter, Bella, who is about to turn two in a couple of days. And as she continues to grow into her body, she's pretty uncoordinated. Sometimes it's funny, sometimes it's terrifying as her parent. She walks around with this constantly evolving constellation of bruises on her forehead and on her legs. She has stacks five times a day, which would put you or me in the emergency room. But a healthy adult body is very different to that, right? A healthy, mature body is, is coordinated. It's efficient. It can fight off sickness. It can lift heavy things, maintain balance. Think of the power of a sprinter or the control of a dancer. 
And God calls us, us in the room here, to be a mature, healthy body together. To no longer be infants, verse 14. Because what happens? An immature body gets tossed back and forth by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. Now, when I was a child, my parents took some delight in exploiting the immaturity of a child. Uh, They taught me things like that cartoons were only on TV on Saturdays. Uh, They taught me that supermarkets only stocked Cocoa Pops during the school holidays. Uh, They taught me that when the ice cream van was playing its music, that meant he was out of ice cream. (laughs) It's the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. And my immaturity, I believed them. The the funny thing is I'd written that illustration there and my parents happened to show up to visit St. Jude's this morning, so I had to tell that story with them sitting in the room and then apologise to them afterwards. (laughs) But that's that's what an immature body of Christ is like. It's it's gullible. It's susceptible to being deceived and and misled. But instead... Paul writes, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into Jesus, who is the head. Maturity in the body of Christ is so important in order for us to fit with Jesus, our head. The picture here in, in verse 15, you can see, is of a body growing into its head. It's a very odd picture the head of a mature adult with the body of an infant underneath it. Like one of those, those frames that you place your head in with a funny picture underneath, right? They don't quite match. But God calls us to grow up to fit with our mature head. So we're no longer ill-fitting, but we rightly fit with Jesus. And it's from him that the whole body then, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. As we grow to fit with our head, Christ, we build ourselves up in love. How? As every part, every person does its work. When a body is in harmony, right, when its systems are healthy together, that is a body which builds itself up into maturity, becoming resilient and healthy. And that's the kind of body that God calls us to be here at UniChurch. That is our calling. How then, if that's our calling, how does God bring about this maturity in the church? What does he do to empower us to live out our calling? Well, he brings about this maturity in the church through building us in our unity and our diversity. A church which holds together and demonstrates unity and diversity is a church that is mature, living out its calling. We see God's call to unity in the the very first part of the passage to live lives worthy of God's call, we see a picture here of deep interconnectedness with other followers of Jesus. There's love and unity and peace together. Have a look at our verse two. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, 
bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Notice that all of those behaviours there that mark the Christian life are things that we do with other people. Living a life worthy of our calling is built on our behaviour towards each other. A relationship of love with God is expressed in relationships of love between God's people. And then in verses 3 to 6, Paul goes on, we see that our unity in the gospel is powered by the unity of our God. Our unity in the gospel is powered by the unity of our God. We see the three persons of God, the Trinity, at work there. Cast your eyes over verses 3 to 6 and you can see the three persons of God, the Trinity, Father, Son, and Spirit together bring about our unity with one another. See, at at salvation, when someone becomes a follower of Jesus, they are drawn into the life of God, the Trinity, experiencing the love that God holds within himself. And the new believer is drawn into the life of God's family, the human community, which shares that love that God has within himself. Our community, our love for one another is powered by God's community of love. And so the kind of love that we show each other, which comes from God and from God within himself, that is love that is powerful because it stands out. In a culture around us, in Melbourne's inner north, with growing crises of isolation and loneliness, cultural division and conflict, unity in the gospel is a wonderful blessing and witness. And that unity in the gospel is so remarkable because of the diversity that it brings together. After celebrating the oneness that we have in the one faith, the one baptism, the one God, Paul writes from verse 7, but to each one of us, grace has been given. Imagine from verses 1 to 6, Paul has held up a a clock, this, this unique instrument that works to fulfill its purpose. But now in verse 7, he, he opens up the clock and he points to what's inside. He points out the, the batteries and the gears and the screws and the hands showing us how each part plays its essential role in making the whole thing work. So have a look at verse 11. See how Paul's showing us what goes on inside the clock here. Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to equip his people for works of service so that the body of Christ may be built up. Can you see the different gears and mechanisms at work there? Christ himself, he gives various types of leaders, apostles, prophets, evangelists, pastors, teachers. He does that to equip his people, that's everyone, for works of service. Why? So that the body of Christ, all of us, may be built up. I love this picture here because it shows that the primary location of ministry, the main game of God building his church, is among the body, all believers. 
leaders and teachers like me in this picture, we're, we're secondary, right? We're here to equip and encourage and support you. You are the main players in this game. In a, in a, a company or a corporation, leaders are, are placed above others to provide order and, and structure and decision-making. But in the church, the, the prophets, the apostles, the evangelists, the pastors, teachers, they're placed by God below the rest of the community in order to equip and encourage and exhort. It's like the roots of a plant that move energy up into the trunk and the branches and the leaves which bear fruit. So too God uses Christian leaders to bring about fruit among the whole body of believers. And this, this diversity, this plurality of gifts in true unity in Jesus is a wonderful, life-giving richness which makes us unique in the world. See, unity without diversity is just uniformity, right? It's like row upon row of cars off a factory line. Diversity without unity is is empty, it's hollow, it's destined to fail. It's like a clock in which every piece is trying to tell a different time. But true unity with rich diversity, that is something wonderful. It's like a vibrant ecosystem with each animal and plant playing its part to ensure the health of the whole. It's like a pair of figure skaters with his strength and speed matching her grace and control to together create something beautiful. A diversity of gifts, unity in the gospel. At the swimming pool the other day, I walked past the fabulous 50s. Who knows what I'm talking about by the fabulous 50s? Some? A few? Yeah, okay. So the fabulous 50s, if you go to a swimming pool, you will walk past the deep pool and there'll be a grid of people, usually older people, 50s plus, in synchronization, right? They're, they're there and they're doing arms up, arms out, arms forward, arms back, and their legs are kicking underneath the surface like ducks under the water. They're not the most glamorous group of people in the pool, but they do it in synchronization, right? And they can do that. They can keep time and keep sync with each other because of the energetic, tanned, bouncy instructor at the edge of the pool who's giving them instructions and encouragements to the tinny sound of Michael Jackson playing on a CD player, right? That's, that's what happens at Fabulous 50s. And they can do that because of that instructor that they're all following. And, and our unity in the gospel works because we're all following the same instructor. For all our difference, our hearts and our lives are set on the same person at the same goal, the same example, the same empowerer. Christ is at the centre of our unity and it's in him and him alone that our unity finds its power. We can see this clearly in the passage just by the volume of mentions of Jesus. In our 16 verses, Christ is mentioned 16 times. We are his body, he gave the leaders, he distributes gifts to his people, we grow into fullness in him, he is the head of the body. Our unity finds its, its centre, finds its power 
in Jesus. Now, Australian culture is one that highly values diversity. A diversity is a key value that, that drives our public discourse, our policymakers, our media, our government. Many other countries around the world share that value and many others still don't share that value in the same way, particularly collectivist cultures around the world, which are common especially in Asia and in South America. I've had a couple of international members of Unichurch tell me that upon arrival here in Australia, in Melbourne, one of the things that most struck them was this value on diversity, how highly that was held in our culture. And yet the diversity that's so highly prized in Australian culture is diversity without real unity, without deep unity. And so its potential is, is limited to polite tolerance. We can enshrine diversity into our laws, cultural and sexual and gender and ability and racial diversity in all the ways that we can, but without true unity, there's no future, right, except parallel lives and tolerance for one another. People continue to live their lives with different scripts, with different narratives, with different goals and hopes and, and different hates and fears. With that kind of diversity, the best we can hope for is, is tolerance as people live parallel lives or perhaps more likely divergent lives. See, for those of us here in the room who grew up in, in collectivist cultures, the biblical picture of church here in Ephesians 4 subverts the value of uniformity and conforming to a norm. That the church is not like a factory floor of cars, identical in row upon row. But rather, for, for all of us, whatever culture we grew up in, whatever value we grew up surrounded by, as the writer A.W. Tozer wrote, the church is like 100 pianos tuned to the same tuning fork and so automatically tuned to each other. They are of one accord by being tuned not to each other, but to another standard to which each one must individually bow. So 100 worshippers together, each one looking away to Christ, are in heart nearer to each other than they could possibly be were they to focus on each other and turn their eyes away from God to strive for closer fellowship. With Christ as our center, with Christ as our focus, we can look beyond, we can look deeper than tolerance. We can instead enjoy deep and enduring unity. And then, in Paul's language, we will no longer be infants tossed back and forth by the waves, but instead be the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. Every, every person in this room here tonight has unique experiences and skills and abilities and passions. Every Christian in the room here tonight has the Holy Spirit of God dwelling in your heart, giving you gifts, empowering you to serve his people. So do it. Serve one another. Right now, to your left, to your right, in front of you, behind you, there are brothers and sisters in Christ. 
members of the family of God with you, people with whom you share the deepest part of who you are. You may not share the same hobbies. You may not share the same heart language or country of origin. You might not share the same life stage. But that's exactly the point, right? We don't need to share those things in order to have deep relationship and love together because we share something deeper than all those things. A favourite preacher of mine, Francis Chan, he tells the story of a gang member who got saved and joined his church. And at first, this man was really excited and engaged and committed. But after a few months, he became less regular, less connected, less enthusiastic. Francis reached out to him, asked, what's happened? And he said, when I joined the church, I thought it would be like my gang. In my gang, people had my back. People were committed to each other. We were family. I guess I just thought church would be like that too. What a, what a devastating comment. Imagine the witnessing power of a truly united church community, right? Better community than a gang. As people here join us every Sunday to hear the gospel, imagine if they see it radically lift out in the gospel people here, serving one another, loving one another, praying with one another, sharing life with one another across barriers and with all the diverse gifts that God has given us. So do it tonight. When our service ends, live out Ephesians 4. Be brave. Sit at dinner with people that you don't know. Exercise the spiritual gift of encouragement and encourage someone in their faith. Spend time praying for someone or asking for prayer after the service. Get to know someone you've never talked to before. Share the goodness of God in your life with someone. That's the thing about this picture, right, of unity and diversity in church life. It's actually not that complicated. It's just a bunch of unique people loving and serving one another. And yet, amazingly, that is God's formula to build a community which is mature, which fits with Jesus, our head, and which changes the world. I, I desperately want to see UniChurch live out our calling this year. And this is it. Life together worthy of the calling we have received. So I'm going to pray now that God would do that, that we would live out our calling. And if that's something that you want as well, would you pray with me? God, we pray that you would empower us to live lives worthy of the calling we have received. As we live lives focused on Jesus, our head, our center, we pray that you would draw us nearer to one another. Use our gifts to serve each other and to build up the body. And we pray that as we do, you would be greatly glorified through us.